0: That's Q-U-I-N-C-E dot com slash Judging Megan to get free shipping and 365 day returns. Quince dot com slash Judging Megan. And now back to the podcast. Everybody, you are listening to Judging Megan with your host, Megan Judge, Um I'm going to start out with, I usually, I hate saying, um, okay. I'm going to say a few things before I introduce my lovely guest. I sometimes listen back, uh, to podcasts. I try not to because I, I don't like the things that I say sometimes, or I'm very self-critical. I I know that I say, ums and likes too many times in a, in within a one minute period. And I, I am an old lady Valley girl. I cannot stop saying like, I've tried, I've tried, I've tried and I've tried and I've tried and I can't. And so sometimes I think when I listen back to a recent episode, I usually listen to the beginning just to make sure that everything is running smoothly and I have the best editor. So I'm never really worried about Celeste not doing something right. But I just get really, I just sometimes want to listen to how I sound because I'm vain. I have a large ego, all of the following. But I I apologize sometimes if I say like too much, because that's just me. That's who I am. I will always be that little 1980s valley girl trapped in in an older woman's body. I'm not that old, but you know what I'm trying to say. So that's how I'm going to introduce this episode today. Um, I'm about to get on an airplane tomorrow to Go back to Washington D.C. to sadly, uh, I lost a friend, and um, it's a very sad thing. But I'm going to be seeing my childhood friends, and um, and I'm just sad. I'm very sad for where I'm going and what I'm gonna have to go through. But I just what I'll say is um, loss and grief are universal and um i'm not going to go into detail with the friend that i lost but i will say um he was an amazing amazing human being i've known him since i was a little kid um his his wife was one of my best friends from high school his sister i've known since i was in third grade as well and um my heart is with them my heart is with all the people That are going through some sort of loss right now. And I'm just gonna start the podcast that way. I wish I could start it a little cheerier, but that's how I'm starting today. We've all been put here for a reason, and we all deserve acceptance. Judging Megan with Megan Judge. I'm a trauma survivor from a really young age, and I have been diagnosed with complex PTSD in the past few years. I've been surrounded by death and abuse much of my life. I've been dragged through the mud and have been to the point of not wanting to go on anymore. Through my interviews with other survivors, I've learned that there is a way out. From recovering to surviving and thriving, we all have the strength to come out the other side. You are listening to Judging Megan. I would like to introduce my guest, Danny Sather. Did I say it correct or what? I'm always nervous about how I introduce somebody and if I'm gonna butcher their last name. Her organization is called Suffer Out Loud. She is the executive director. Welcome, Danny, to the podcast. I'm honored to have you.
1: Thanks. Uh, Can yeah, we, thank you.
0: Oh, you're oh you are so welcome.
1: Say third. Which is did the difference I... between a uh, vocalized TH and like the silent TH, but it doesn't actually matter.
0: Did I say it right, though? You
1: did. Um, okay, oh. so I have family in Texas and then family in Montana, two different sides of the country. In Texas, it's uh, sather. Oh. And then in Montana, it's say ther. So the TH is not, there's no vocal behind the TH. There's a th. As opposed to the, and so they say, which Satter. one do you
0: prefer? Cause you're a Montana girl.
1: Honestly, uh, Sather. Sather. But it doesn't matter as long as I like the, the last name and then we're good. <laughs> yeah.
0: I like, well, nobody should do that. I like the, I like how the, like how in different areas of the country, somebody might say your different, your last name in a different way. I always think it's really interesting. I'm really honored to have you on today. Uh, we are go- so this episode could be triggering. I like to always tell my audience that before they listen. Um, the reason that I do this podcast on a weekly basis is my main agenda is to be f- for people to feel comfortable and come to my podcast to learn more about mental health awareness, um, suicide prevention, suicide awareness and Danny's organization Suffer Out Loud in which she's the executive director is um it's that's what she talks about and that's what her organization does. So why don't you tell my audience before we start a little bit about Suffer Out Loud?
1: Yeah, um also I just want to say I'm sorry that you're going through grief. Um the podcast is probably going to spiral into a grief uh conversation because That's what
0: I talk about. Me too. You've come to the the right place. I mean, I mean, I, I'm sad that it, that, um, you know, I was, I debated on on talking about it this episode, but because I'm about to go on an airplane and fly and, um, and I know where I'm going and I know how sad it's going to be. Um, I just think it's really important to recognize how people are like people, I will forever be in grief for the rest of my life for my losses, but, and grief isn't like a a short period of time. Grief can last a lifetime. And I say that all the time because I've gone through a lot of loss. Um, but it's always hard when it's a sudden thing, you know? So, but thank you so much for saying that. I really appreciate it. And I know you've gone through a lot in your own life, but before we get into that, tell me a little bit, about what your organization is and does.
1: Um yeah, no. Um I appreciate you saying that. I have um I've been asked more times than I would have liked to officiate or lead funerals or speak on behalf of um grieving folks in loss, uh, people who I share that loss with. So I really appreciate 100% you saying that it is it is universal and it's, I think it's honestly the one universal thing that we can say. It doesn't mean that grief isn't really super unique.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, everybody's grief is so subjective and uniquely their own. And I think it's a gift in that way. Um, I always say to people that it's the club that You don't want a card to, I guess. It's the club that you're in now, but you don't want to be in it, but you're in it, and it makes it really special. Um, So anyway, Suffer Out Loud was founded in 2017. Um, Our founder is Cassie Jackson. She's this really beautiful, wonderful, amazing woman who lives here in Bozeman, Montana. Um, And she lost her sister to suicide, I I believe it was 2008. And after that loss, she kind of realized that She felt more isolated than ever before after that, because people don't know how to respond. Oh, hey, I lost my sister to suicide. What do you say to that? How do you console? You can't. And that's, I think, true with any amount of grief. But specifically, um, suicide loss is really difficult. Um, And so she, 10 years later in 2017, she found it suffer out loud because she was like, what is the, where's the gap? Like There are people doing the work here in Montana. Maybe not enough. um, There are people doing really hard work and working to build the resources that we have for mental health care. Um, And then there are people who need it. So where's the gap? Why aren't we asking for it? And so she focused on that gap because we don't provide direct services. We're not licensed to provide direct services. And as far as like mental health care um you don't have to be licensed by the way to be uh to intervene in a crisis um but we are not licensed to provide that mental health care as like a therapeutic sense and mm-hmm. ongoing therapeutic sense um and so she realized that there were a number of different barriers one of them was the stigma actually the biggest one i think which still exists is the stigma the stigma yeah Yeah, Montana is really much like a pull-yourself-up-by-your-bootstraps kind of state, and um, so stepping over that stigma is a big one and kind of normalizing talking about it. The other one is obviously um, access to demographics, specifically for BIPOC folk, in my opinion, Um, especially our Native populations, our Native nations here. They don't necessarily have access to mental health care professionals who share a same background with them the same demographic
0: can, can you backpedal a little bit backpedal that's such a mm-hmm. weird word um can you tell explain what BIPOC means for my oh, audience sorry.
1: yeah BIPOC is black indigenous people of color okay it's basically you know the overarching umbrella for anybody who's not white I guess okay okay <laughs> Yeah, so, um, and our our biggest uh, minority population in Montana is Native, Indigenous folks. Um, so, and they're, and me speaking as a non-Native person, I am Black, my dad was Black, my mom was White. Um, I even don't, I don't have a full repertoire or study behind me to speak on behalf of them. So, whatever I say about Native people, take it with a grain of salt. But I do know that, like, if I don't know it, As a person who has invested in advocating for BIPOC folk here in Montana, um, I imagine that a lot of other people here don't. Um, And there are some very specific sensitivity trainings and just um, different kinds of approaches to serving indigenous folks in Montana that are necessary to honoring their backgrounds um, that need to happen and we are predominantly white state. And so, um, those trainings don't always happen if you don't see it in front of you. So,
0: yeah, I mean, so, so expanded impact was, was started specifically in Montana, but this is a universal thing. I mean, especially for people of color, I can tell you that, um, I have interviewed many people, um, of color and they talk about how it's just not acceptable to talk about mental health and their culture, you know? Oh, 100%. If, yeah.
1: Um, I think it's just, it's another layer of, of pressure, I think added to folks who are are, are trying to prove themselves as worthy of humanhood, <laughs> mm-hmm. if that makes sense. Um, yeah. and if you're not perfect as a person of color, Um, those flaws can be detrimental or even fatal. Um, Most of the past high profile cases of um, black specifically, but BIPOC folk who have been um, on the receiving end of fatal police brutality. And I hate using that word because I don't like to make like race in, in, to paint it within this political frame Mm -hmm. um, because it's not me being born half black is not political. Um, But most of them have been in response to calls that have happened because somebody was in a mental health care crisis. And so, um, yeah, I think there are other means to addressing these. It doesn't mean that maybe they didn't have, um, a weapon or didn't seem scary to the neighbors, but I also think that there are just uh, there are a number of different means that could have been put in place before some of these really dangerous, um, instances took lives of, of black folk in Montana or not in Montana in the U S. Um, so yeah, that being said, suffer aloud is not specifically a BIPOC organization. We, We work to serve anybody, literally anybody who wants access to mental health care.
0: Well, let me ask you why you, you put on the bio, why is the, why does Montana have the highest suicide rate in the country?
1: I don't think I can give you, um,
0: (laughs) a specific answer.
1: I don't think I can give you a specific answer. I can give you some of my own theories and some of the things that I've taken away from the research that I've done. Okay. Um, One reason is um, weirdly enough, and there have been studies regions with higher elevations have a positive correlation with um, higher suicide rates. And it's just like, yeah, it's this kind of ongoing uh, lack of oxygen or less oxygen than other places in the country. So there has been a correlation between like the the, the elevation because you don't have an, a regular source of oxygen that is as high as other places that it kind of like guess affects the way that your brain works or or the way that your brain um, uh manages your emotions. I haven't i I can give you any more than that, but that is one really interesting theory. Um, the biggest one I think is just being in a rural place where you don't have access immediate access to help
0: we do mm-hmm. obviously
1: have places like the help center which is located here in bozeman and they run our our 988 line um and they do i think run 24 7 like crisis intervention um, in addition to the 988 line i think you can walk in there and see a crisis um, therapist we have the hope uh, i think it's the hope house um there are a number of different Options here because we all know that it's super needed. Um, but access in general, like for super rural areas, it's just not there. Like, where do you go? Do and, and calling the police just doesn't help. It can escalate it. Um, so lack of access, the pull your bootstraps up bootstraps up like mentality is a big thing like oh i'm not a man if i if i ask for help um or so is there a
0: higher because i know in general so not only like for the state of montana but throughout the united states you know our suicide rates have quadrupled since covid um on i feel like people are constantly sending me articles because they know what i do another about somebody else taking their life. So we obviously have an epidemic going on in our country. Uh, I feel like every week I turn on the news and it's somebody new, you know? Um, But I find that specifically for men too, because men have the issues of, you know, I always feel there's, there's certain things. I always feel lucky that I'm a female in a lot of ways. Okay. One way is that women talk, We usually talk about our problems. We like to get in groups. We like to talk. That's just something we do. Whereas men are taught from a really young age to bottle it all up. You're not a man. Like you just said, pull up your bootstraps. And so it's a a sign of weakness. I mean, you would be shocked. I have a lot of women that come on this podcast, and I do have men that come on and they share their stories of you know, whether it's suffering from like debilitating panic attacks or being suicidal, whatever it is, but it's, it's so much harder to get male guests to be open to talk about these things. So it really is a passion of mine to kind of figure this out. And if there's a way that we could break this stigma and get men more open to talk about it, I don't know. I feel like I'm so Pollyanna about it because when I came out with my own story, just so you know, my back, like just my background, my audience probably is like, shut up. We don't need to hear your story again, but I'll tell you. I do. I need to know. it. Oh, well. So um, I went through this like horrific, horrific period of my life right before COVID. It was a perfect storm of uh, my the trauma from my childhood just bubbling up. I had a really bad friend breakup from a girl that I thought was my really close, good friend um, and a bunch of mean girl moms just like kind of gang up on me and um, and trash me like really honestly trash me across town. And I live in L.A., but I live by the beach, so the outskirts. And then it was just like everything went wrong. Then COVID happened. Then I'm sitting there not able to deal. I started having horrible, horrible panic attacks. I was in a situation with work where I couldn't like really deal because my panic attacks were getting so bad. And, um, and I just found myself for a solid six month period wanting, I could not shake this feeling of wanting to get out (laughs) every day. That's all I thought about every night. I would lie in bed and think about this. And then one day I was, I, I realized I have two daughters. I lost my dad at 13 and I was like, you know, I'm not going out this way. This is not the way I'm going to go out. So then I, I decided I was going to take my life back and it doesn't mean that every day is perfect and it doesn't mean I don't struggle still because believe me, I do. <laughs> Mm-hmm. And we all do. I mean, we really all do in different ways. We just not everybody's as outspoken and a loud mouth as I am, because I figured I can either do something and like turn this pain into purpose and help other people with my story. And then maybe if we I talk about this a lot, like kind of build the fire, talk about our own stories, then the fire will spread. And then people will say, well, if she can talk about it, maybe I can talk about it, too. Right. Mm-hmm. And so that is, that is why this happened, this whole podcast happened to begin with. And so when, when I have men on, or I have people on like you, it's, it's, it, it lights my soul. You know, it really honestly does because it makes me go, okay, like, let's try to figure this out. I'm very Pollyanna about it. I really believe deep down that there's a way to make this not as big as it is and so when somebody like you comes on and you deal with this on a daily basis I just want answers just like you want answers and you have your own story which I know which we're going to talk about but any any thoughts on my big giant muffled sob story like life story I don't know
1: I have a a super weird thought um I have a background in theater (laughs) Oh, you do Peter as an actor. Yeah. And one of oh, the me first too. plays I was in was opposite. Uh. Uh, it was a like a community written, you know, one act play fest. And I was playing opposite Pollyanna. And um, she at the time was my best friend and we also had a falling out. And so my, first of all, I'm sorry. Uh, breaking up with a friend is almost worse than breaking up with your loved one like a man I guess or a woman or whoever it is that you're dating Um, it's it's heart wrenching Um, but it happens and usually happens for the best Uh, but second of all my friend was the Pollyanna and I was this person and the only lines I remember from that play was grey I said grey so many times grey 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 and grey um, everything was great. And I was like, shit, she actually is Pollyanna because she thinks everything is possible. And here I am sitting and she can't step into my shoes and understand that like, I see the world crumbling around me sometimes. Yeah. And I don't want you to say that it's going to be okay. Um, because I don't think it is sometimes, but I do still have hope and I think it's okay to not be okay sometimes. Um, And so that was it was just kind of a weird connection that I had in your story um, because we need Pollyannas we need Pollyannas to be like hey buck up babe um, we can do this we can muscle through you can spend time in the gray area but eventually you're gonna have to like dig out of that um, but I think as far as connecting with men around mental health we have three really beautiful wonderful men on our board at suffer out loud, um, who have very specific connections to our mission. And I think they struggle just as much as I do in figuring out how to bring them into the conversation. Mm -hmm. Um, I hate to say it. I think it just takes time. Um, and it does take effort as much as time. Like I will put out, we do, we do monthly workshops, because we are rural. And so being in rural areas means that like, um, part of our mission is providing tools for folks to get through those mental health moments. And it could be macrame, it could be water painting, it could be yoga or biking. It could be any number of things. We've had so many wonderful, beautiful, um, workshops. And it's just like, whatever you latch onto, the whole point is like, let's give the community these tools for free so that when they are at their lowest, they have these things. And so, you know, we've tried fly tying for fly fishers and, and um, I've tried to reach out to even um, gun companies to be like, Hey, can we do a workshop on like gun safety making sure that lethal means aren't available in the house? Um, And then talk about, the fun part of having a gun as a hunter, like how do you aim? How do you? What are what are the methods of hunting? I don't hunt. I'm a vegetarian. <laughs> but I like, am well, I'm a okay. Yeah, <laughs> it's a lot of hunting. There's a, a season where people well, you drive live in.
0: You're street. you live in Montana, so it makes sense. Yeah, I mean, I know it. there's a.
1: I was like, uh, okay, can you just at least put a tarp over it? Like, there's a moment where you just see trucks driving down the street, and I'm like, I don't want to see your trophy, like, I can't. Yeah,
0: that would um, just, that would devastate me. There's a reason I don't live in Montana, although I did enjoy Yellowstone, I'm not gonna lie. Um, So, yeah. so, do, like, when you, just, something you said about everything being gray and your story that struck me is, I, I get that, but I don't want myself to like, I feel like when I got to the point of, of, and I'm going a little bit off the center right now, but when I got to that point of being so low and so dark and so bad, and I'll use your word gray, cause that's how it was. But for me, it was darker than gray. Um, that wasn't the way it was my entire life. Like I was always like a fighter and I always saw things like the glass half full. I don't know why, but I was like that for a really long time. And I think that's why I suppressed and pushed down all of my things for so long. And I didn't want to see things gray, but, yeah, but, but how would you
1: know? How would you know? And if, unless you saw things gray, that's my thing. Yeah. Like, if you see things in color for the, rest of your life how did you even know that gray existed until you reached gray and that makes that's all true. of the color so much more vibrant and brilliant and and i think that's why at suffer out loud or me in general yeah. if, if you would allow me in a really embarrassing way that my friends are probably going to make fun of me to go down a rabbit hole here shortly go, ahead. Uh, but that's, that's...
0: <laughs> go right think... ahead that's what we're here for
1: okay i am I am a major depressive.
0: Mm-hmm. I have
1: major depressive disorder. I have generalized anxiety. I have ADHD. I have all of the things that tend to go together. Right. Um, and it's fine and it's fine now, but it wasn't fine when I was coming up in school. Like I was in special ed. I was told that I was stupid. Um, I was made fun of, uh, for everything, not just being stupid, but also having curly hair or being black I was called the n-word I you know like all of the weird trauma things that people grow up with in school we all have them mm-hmm. um and I wanted to escape that and be like a popular girl until I went to grad school and um one of my teachers who I have a crush on to this day her name is Dr. Hamara and she's brilliant one of the smartest people that I've ever met introduced me to Butoh. Um, and Butoh is a dance form that came out of the avant-garde kind of dance era. Um, founded or created by, his name is Hijikata Tatsumi. He also created with somebody, and I only remember his name is Ono, and that's my bad because I'm like a weird dark human and like Hijikata was the dark side of Butoh and then uh-huh. Ono was like, the light side of Butoh. Yeah. Um, and when I learned of him, it was literally right after I'd learned that my mom had cancer. And then. Do you right mind boom, ask
0: me asking how old you were when that happened?
1: Um, 26. Okay. And she made it through. And it was right before I learned that my dad had cancer, which he passed when I was 27 from cancer. So this Butoh thing pulled me through it. It's beautiful. It's incredible. Um, And anybody who's listening, if you Google Butoh, it's B-U-T-O-H. And you watch the Hijikata Tatsumi version of it first. It's going to be disturbing um, if you don't understand the theory behind it. So behind it is this idea that they look to the earth. They look down. Uh, They ground themselves in the earth. And the one thing, the one specific thing that I took away from it was that, like, you cannot die unless you stop moving. And that was so beautiful for me. Um, Because even in death, you don't die because your body begins to decompose and you become this beautiful otherness of... Plants or whatever it is that you move into, um, but uh, without boring everybody with all the details around it, what it taught me was that like, light and beauty is only possible when you can embrace and accept the darkness,, um, pain and suffering of humanity. And that is when I realized that like, oh, my grief is a gift. It's a gift. <sighs> Yeah. <laughs> I don't want it, but it's it's no. the gift that I didn't know I needed, and so that's kind of where I sit around that gray area. It's like yeah, that grayness when you live in gray for the first time, it sucks, but then you you realize it sucks only because you knew color once before,
0: oh my God, you're gonna make me well, you are making me cry, but it's that's a beautiful thing to say because it is so true, I mean, and I'm and again. Struggling with major depressive disorder a d h d feeling different, bullying all of that stuff, I mean this shapes us as human beings, right We come yes. out this is the thing that always kills me. We come out at least I did. it came out so like like happy right i mean i I witnessed the loss of my sister at two. she passed away but and it happened basically, like I witnessed it. So it was really awful, but I don't remember it. It's in my brain somewhere and I can't escape it. I know it's there cause it pops up, or but I did. Body. Yeah. in my body in my weird core memories, but I push it away in a way, you know? And I was always able to like, I mean, this episode should be called the colors of the rainbow and gray <laughs> because <laughs> I was always able to, like I said earlier, be like, well, the cup is half full. And then you would say, no, the cup's half empty. And then giving your example of what you gave. But what, it's so true. My grief, just like your grief, is a, is a gift. And it took me a really long time, going to get emotional, to really honestly realize that what happened to me a few years ago. And that the darkest place, I don't wish that place on literally anyone. Well, maybe, maybe one person I'm joking. Um, (laughs) it was like when people are mean girls, like there's nothing worse, like you said, than a mean girl because women are so freaking fantastic. And we have so many gifts, but we're taught from a young age to pin ourselves against each other and be jealous. And so when women are mean and they want to gang up against people, it's really freaking painful and it sucks. And it takes away that little teeny innocence that we went to school, like you and I went to school, like can't wait to meet new friends in school. And then Susie like says, nobody likes you or you're ugly or you're half black or you're chubby, whatever it is. And it's like that little piece of you, that's the little piece of you that's chipped away. Right? Right. And then the the continuing continuation of like the chipping and the chipping and the chipping, and then you hide and you like at least for me I kind of like evolved into this other person, until I realized one day after like all the grief and all the pain and and all the stuff like where I got to that boiling point of like pretty much a nervous breakdown where I went, uh-uh, I'm taking my freaking life back. I'm a yeah. mom. I'm cool. Like I'm a cool lady. I don't always think that just like you're a freaking cool, badass lady. I'm cool. I'm fun. I'm funny. I'm like kind of a pain in the ass. I say like way too much. I say, um, way too much. There's like, I have more flaws than anybody. I can be annoying. My husband Even doesn't like me do. a lot. Yeah. Like I we have all kinds like, of flaws. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. But that's part of like the human experience. So when you really break this down, and nobody wants to grieve. Nobody wants to like hear, like in your case, like my mom has cancer and a year later, later, my dad has cancer and my dad died. Like why, 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 why do these things freaking happen? This isn't fair. It sucks. But I will tell you that you, I know I can tell, even just sitting with you for a short time are pretty freaking cool and I would way rather sit with people that are real and they do interesting things. Like the majority of my guests, I would say 99.9% of my guests that have come on. I've just like, I'm in awe by, and I feel like every week that I get to do this and meet somebody like you is just a tremendous gift. So my grief turned in and evolved into this, just like your grief, turned in and invo- evolved into what you do, which is helping other people, which is like, no, it's not, that's not like a thing. You know what no. I'm saying? Most people don't live their lives getting beaten down to turn it around. So I hope that your gray is really not always gray for you. And it turns more into like a pink or
1: something you beautiful. I before I cry.
0: Oh, honey. hold it in. <laughs>
1: No, I cry every, I I
0: cry literally every episode, like every (laughs) episode, there's at least like one drooling snot bubble come out of my nose or a tear and an ugly cry. So (laughs) it just happens. I mean, that's what life's about.
1: Thank you. I appreciate that. Thank you.
0: first. Claritin D has two powerful ingredients in just one pill that relieve your allergy symptoms and decongest your nose so you can breathe better. I feel like I've been using Claritin-D for probably a few months now, and I have really noticed a difference. I can work out. I'm not feeling like my eyes are watering and my nose is all stuffed up. I can speak without feeling like a frog has jumped into my throat. Ready to live life as if you don't have allergies? It's time to live Claritin clear. Fast and powerful relief is just a quick trip away. Find Claritin-D at the pharmacy counter. Ask for Claritin at your local pharmacy counter, you don't even need a prescription. Go to Claritin.com right now for a discount so you can live Claritin clear. Use as directed. But going back to um, what we really are kind of going off track, but I'm fine with it because I think my audience probably wants to hear about you a little bit more. I, I love what you do in your organization. But I want to hear more about, because I haven't had, I've had, I really like to interview people and have people on that talk about their own mental health struggles, right? I think it's really important because then it can normalize um, getting a diagnosis of ADHD. Hello, I was diagnosed with ADD in seventh grade. I'm still here. I'm not dumb like I thought I was for all those years, just like you're not. We're just different. We learn differently. Um, but tell me about what how this evolved into like the diagnosis of like major dis- depressive disorder and all the kind of things that hurt things that you went. Can do you mind going back a little bit, as yeah. I catch you crying? No,
1: I'm good. I'm okay, good. I'm
0: sorry I'm about good. that.
1: Um, no, no, no. Um, but I I work for a company called Suffer Out Loud, so I suffer out loud. Um, I do,
0: I feel like I suffer out loud too. Maybe I should. <laughs> Work for your company with you. Go ahead. I'll start an <laughs> L.A. branch. I'm happy to do it.
1: Seriously, um, I think it's important to show emotions uh, when you can. Um, I think it's the most safe. beautiful
0: thing that you can do. Is honestly not hold that stuff in. Just let I'm it all proud. out.
1: Um, so I, I'm going to go way back. The first time I had considered taking my life was around sixth grade. Um. And I only remember that because I've always been super type A, like I have to succeed. And this is weird because my mom, my mom is my biggest fan and advocate. She's always been like, you can do it, whatever. Like if I came home with a C or D, it's okay, babe, we'll do better next time. You know? So for me, somehow my brain swapped that and like, okay, so we have to then because mom, always knows that you're going to be okay. And I don't know if that's just, I don't know what, I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. Um, I I learned very slowly in the traditional way and I couldn't get my homework done. And I remember going to my mom and saying, mom, I'm going to throw myself down the stairs and hope that I die. And I didn't have a concept of suicide at that time. Um, and she called the school and the school counselor called me in and talked to me, and that's when I learned of this concept of suicide. Um because I couldn't finish my homework. Um fast forward I throughout my teenage years I was a self-harmer, unfortunately. Um my mom was born in nineteen fifty in an age where you just did therapy wasn't a thing. Um if you know, if you were a woman in that time, you had hysteria, whatever. Um and so she didn't know how to help me. I didn't see a therapist until I left home for college, actually. Um, but she was always just like, I don't know how to help you with your emotional issues. And so I imagine I had undiagnosed major depressive disorders since sixth grade. <laughs> um I I've always struggled with my emotions growing up. I was sensitive, um, and I think it's okay to be sensitive. But
0: oh, when you hard. say that to me, I love sensitive people. The world wouldn't be what it is without us. Mm-hmm. But yet, we're always like thrown, like like oh, you're too sensitive. I hate it when people. Do you hate that when people say you're too sensitive? Yeah. It makes no, me. I'm not
1: sensitive. I'm just feeling compassion for other people. Sorry. Yeah, sorry. Trying, yeah. Carrying the weight of the world. Okay. Yeah, yeah, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but that was the thing, is I was always too sensitive until it was a major depressive, until I was a self-harmer, until I had tried to take my life when I was 18. Um and uh obviously didn't succeed, thank goodness. Mm-hmm. Um and I have Tried multiple times since. And I've been lucky enough to have people in my life who were there to intervene. Um, after my dad died, I felt that way. Mm-hmm. And I had a therapist who said, hey, next time you feel this way, can you give yourself five minutes? Because statistically, within that five minutes, you will change your mind. Um, I said, yeah, I can promise you that. And so within my plan, this is ridiculous, within my plan, um, I would count out enough pills that could make me to five minutes. And without failure, at five minutes, I was like, nope, not today. I was like, wow. Yeah. That five minutes is real. I know there are people who have uh, survived jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge and regretted it. Um, that's, no, I'll I tell mean, you a
0: statistic on that, actually, because I, I know an author that did, I forget his book, but the percentage of people that take their own lives, and I hope my listeners listen to this, and if you know somebody that's struggling with either suicidal ideations or is suicidal, that maybe you share the statistic, the statistic of people that take their own lives to suicide jumping off of the golden gate bridge every single one of them that has survived has regretted it and this and it's also the statistic i can't remember i don't want to like quote numbers but basically in a nutshell 99% of people that take their own lives if they could go backwards wouldn't have done it mm-hmm. and that's then we find these things out by things like studies i mean very few people have survived jumping off the Golden Gate Bridge, but there are people that have. So I had to j I had to jump jump in there and say that.
1: No, I appreciate that. Thank you. Um yeah, there is a speaker who
0: Kevin Hines, I think. Hines, I think. Kevin Hines. Yes, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I forget yeah. his book though, but I read it. It's very good.
1: Yeah. So I always that's kind of one of the first things that I always think about is like, oh, give myself five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, I my background is in theater. Um, I grew up with a single mom and my as an only child, A. And um, I love being an only child and I will always be an only child because my mom's 73 and she can't have kids anymore. So um... <laughs> I think you're
0: safe. I think that you're safe being you're an safe. only child. I'm just going to say that. Don't do it, mom. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think she has any eggs left. I think you're pretty good.
1: Go ahead. Um, and I was both. Mostly, uh, she was mostly a single mom because my dad spent a lot of my youth in prison as a black man. And um, I, in my master's degree, I did a lot of studies and a lot of critical race theory, which I know is very taboo in a lot of states. Oh, now, no. but it well,
0: really not important. not in my house, but go on. Okay, thank you. Yes, thank um, you.
1: It was a big, important th- thing for me to understand and get rid of a lot of my anger that I had grown up with. Um, I grew up wishing I was white. I really, really, really begged my mom. I was like, "I need to straighten my hair. I need to chemically relax it. Please let me dye it blonde." Like I want to look like my family, because I only grew up with my mom's side, um, and that was really tough for me not to have that. And I was angry and mad at my dad for a good portion of my life, and um, I regret that. But I, I know that it wasn't available to me to not be because there was a lot of discourse and conversation around who my dad was in my mother's life. And that's not my mom's fault. You know, friends are ride or die, you know, like, and you hear, you hear it. And so I thought that being black meant being criminal and being bad. And, um, that was really tough for me. And so, um, when I went into undergrad, I graduated from University of San Diego in uh, theater and performance studies. And that was the first time that everybody, anybody had ever told me like, you could do more, go get a grad degree. And I was like, graduate school. (laughs) me, And I got a full ride at Texas A&M. And throughout that I did my studies in prison theater and I brought theater to inmates and created theater with inmates, which was incredible. Oh, I love
0: you, <laughs> <laughs> you're making me cry. This is like the most amazing thing ever. Wow,
1: so cool. They are the the easiest actors to work with because they are they they weigh their heart on their sleeves, they have nothing left to lose, yeah, um, and they have so many stories that you can't even fathom to bring to the stage and they taught me more than I ever brought to them. I would leave and sometimes just cry in my room because they gave me so much. Um, so it was selfish. It was very selfish, all of the work that I did. Um, but it allowed me to forget, forgive, and understand everything that my dad went through. And um, that's kind of, I think, one of the most foundational pieces of who I am and why I've like made myself into this position that animals
0: suffer a lot. So um, okay. Well, not impressive at all. Um that I'm just joking. That's pretty unremarkable <laughs> and unbelievable. I I was also, just so you know, I was a theater major in college. Hey. I've been acting my whole life. Um, I only sing do my musical theater now in my shower, but maybe someday that will change. Um <laughs> But I think like it's a, it's a, it's For me, and I don't know about you, but I've always loved acting and theater and singing and performing because it was an escape. And I've and I've talked about this before on the podcast This it was an escape for me because I was so uncomfortable in my own skin. And I always felt like I had to be funny and perform. And, you know, I still in I'm I still think I'm pretty funny, Um, but I now it's like I'm not hiding behind that anymore. And so I, la- I always, I just like adore hearing a story of how you could do something like that, you know, and, and, um, and just take something that was so hard and difficult and just like not identifying, for example, with your race or what you are and like pretending like you were something else and wishing you were something else. That's just like not a journey I can ever understand, you know, but I know there's a lot of people that can of feeling like, you know, I mean, we all want to be something we're not right. I mean, yeah. I've always wanted to be the petite flyer tr- cheerleader, you know, that's like five feet and like weighs Bro, like 85 pounds. Oh, me tons. too. Yeah, I but was in- cheer
1: I had to be in the back because I was tall and you have to like, Yeah, me the- too.
0: Me too. I was like, I don't want to be like the person holding everybody up. I don't want to be like the tall dancer because I did dance. I did all that stuff. I always wanted to be like petite and little and, you know, and just like different from who I am. And so, I mean, your beautiful curls and your big giant smile. I mean, my (laughs) audience, go to YouTube, everyone. That's what (laughs) makes you you. And it's such a gift, you know, and then just to go to graduate school and do all the things you did is Really a remarkable thing. I hope that people that are listening to this today, you know, sometimes we go, I go into these episodes and like I was telling Danny, I'm like, I'm so sorry. I was running late. I was trying to get my, my kids home from school. I'm leaving early in the morning to fly. And I was just like, what's going to happen over the next hour of my life? What is, where is this conversation going to go? And Mm -hmm. she was like, can we talk before we start recording? And I tried to explain to her that the way, like my method of podcasting is if I talk to somebody for like, and I give them an agenda or something before I start, I just, am not, I was never, I can't do that. That's not just not like who I am. And it's not what, makes the podcast what it is and these conversations, what they are. And so I always tell my guests before we record and I'll let my audience know that I think of this, these episodes as like sitting in a coffee shop and I'm this person I always love. I love strangers more than people I know. I mean, I usually (laughs) do. I usually love strangers like, because I've been so hurt by people I know. So I'm one of those people like I always love talking to the valet or I like to talk to like people at restaurants, sitting at a bar. I like to talk to my waiter. And so that's what this is. It's like going into a coffee shop, meeting this fantastically wonderful person named Danny. And she tells me this story about how hard and dark her life has been and how she wanted to end it. But if from the outside, she knew how special she is, that she did, does what she does to change the world. If you could look from the outside and you're one of my listeners that I'm lucky and fortunate enough to have every week, they're not going to see that. And so they see you as like, wow, I can't believe that Danny did this. This is what we need, right? We need more of this.
1: Yeah, I agree. I agree. And that's, um, at Suffer Out Loud, that's one of the things that we try to do specifically, you know, Montana based is we we have a blog and we invite people to take over our social media. We really like try very hard to make it a a collective conversation because that's Mm -hmm. the only way that you can break down that stigma. That's the only way that we can recognize that Yeah. There is a collective and there's a shared grief and there's a shared suffering. Um, as unique as each person's individual suffering is, there is a seed where we all, we all connect there in that suffering. And if we can recognize that, then we can, we can build the bridges and we can, we can find the light together and it's okay to ask for help. Um, And so asking people to share their stories and talk about it and normalize asking for help is really kind of the crux of, of, of the work that we do is like, Hey, you're not less of a man or less of a woman or less of a mom. If you say, hey, I'm freaking struggling. I need community. I need I need friends or family. I, I actually need financial support. Whatever it is, if you ask for help, whether or not it happens that day or the day after, asking for help is half of the battle. And then people will rally behind you and make it happen. Hopefully. You know, and that's the hopefully is where we come in. Um, but But I agree with you. Um, everybody has traumas and struggles, and saying it out loud is important.
0: And suffering, like suffering in silence, like we hear so many stories, right? Uh, I, I always bring up that dancer. what's his name? Now I am blanking on his name, Twitch. That, oh, yeah, yeah. that passed away, like, oh God, it's been, like, a oh, year, was that a right. year ago? It's been Holy a while.
1: smokes, yeah, I remember that.
0: Yeah, and so, was wild. Yeah. and nobody knew, like, he didn't talk about it, he was, as far as, I, I mean, we don't know, because we're not related yeah. to him, and not in the family, but as far as the public knows, and so we hear so many stories about, like, oh, they, nobody knew, nobody talked about it. They weren't saying anything, which is very common in men. You know, I've had guests on that are male and they come on and they just say, I was just, I felt like it would be better. I wouldn't embarrass people if I talked about it, or I just, I couldn't, I was, I was ashamed. And so much shame is, um, is, is, has to do with these feelings. And if so, we break the shame, which I think you're, that's what you do. And you get people just to talk about it. What are some like, are there some steps or some things that you tell people from suffer out loud? Like, because I like to think that my listeners, I have listeners all over the world that come and listen to this. And so if there are there things that you can tell people besides the I love the five minutes, I've never heard that before. I think that's a really big one.
1: The five minutes are, yeah, obviously a big one. Um, and the reason that it resonated with me, was like, oh, well, you know, if I'm going to take my own life, I'm just going to do it. Um, but I can integrate that five minutes into my plan, which is morbid and disgusting. Right. Mm -hmm. I hate that my brain works that way, Mm -hmm. Um, but it worked. Like my plan was that five minutes, it would take me five minutes to put my plan in action and it worked. Um, The other one is to know that 988 is available to you, even if you don't think you're going to take your life. Uh, I think I receive at Suffer Out Loud, I receive a number of crisis calls from people who are like, well, I'm not going to kill myself today, but I needed to be heard. Um, And I don't think people know that you can call 988, even if you don't have a plan in motion. You can call 988 even if you don't want to take your own life at that moment. You can call 988 if you just need to be heard. 988 is available to you without judgment. Um, And it is, I think, run statewide. So it is locally, it's a local resource to you where they can refer you to other resources. Um, You do not have to hit rock bottom to call 988 at all. Thank you, you Thank you for saying
0: that. Thank you for saying that, because I don't think and for people that don't know, because maybe somebody's listening in the United States, 988 is like 911, but for um, for suicide prevention. So they enabled they enabled the 988 and I think in the past year. Right. Wasn't that?
1: Yeah, actually, they had a year anniversary. I think it was last month.
0: Okay. And one thing that you said in the very beginning that I wanted to go back to was that 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 people that are in that place of being suicidal do not want to call 911 and do not want the police to come. Can you kind of like go into that and maybe explain that a little bit?
1: Well, first of all, calling the police can escalate the situation. Yes. Especially they show up with their lights. <laughs> mm-hmm. um especially for bipoc people mm-hmm. um don't <laughs> just don't uh yeah public announcement do not call the police on a bipoc person for suicide find another find another resource i guarantee you there's one in your community or a community nearby uh just don't um but they don't necessarily have the training the mental health training to be able to approach that um I think that anybody who wants to, wants to, or needs to um, be well-versed in suicide prevention should get QPR trained.
0: Can you explain uh, what that means?
1: You can do that online. And what, QPR what, is question, QPR? Uh, QPR, question, persuade, refer. And it's a pretty common formula for all suicide prevention. Question, perf persuade, prefer. It looks different in different kinds of suicide prevention platforms and formats or whatever of, of how you can address suicide prevention or addressing a crisis situation question where they are, what is their safety, safety level? Um, are they a, an imminent harm to themselves? Um, persuade them not to take their lives in whatever way that looks And then refer them to the ongoing care that they could benefit from in the future. Um, I'd say the persuade part is probably the hardest part. Is how do I, what is it that I can say to persuade them from from thinking, obviously. But the the question is easy-ish. Maybe that's actually the hardest because it's hard to actually say, do you want to commit suicide or die by suicide? Commit. We don't say commit anymore. That was my bad. Sorry. We don't say commit anymore. Commit um, assumes some sort of harm that somebody is doing on somebody else. So somebody who, if you say commit suicide, somebody who committed suicide has done harm to somebody else. Um, Whereas died by suicide takes the blame off of that person and also their family. Well, it's Uh, very
0: hard on the families. It's very hard. I I, I interviewed Kate Rule, who's a friend of mine, become a friend of mine now, and she lost her son Warren um, as a teen. And I think that it's extremely hard on the families to uh, you talked about in the beginning. There's no pain like the what the loss of somebody to a family member. It's different than any other kind of loss. And so when you say, when you say it that way, it just like kind of alleviates their, the, the unbearable pain that they're going to carry with them for the rest of their lives. You know, the guilt, all the things that go along with it. So exactly. I think that's really you important. Know,
1: like saying committing a crime is mm-hmm. very important. Um... And for some people, maybe this was for them their only way out at that moment, what they thought was their only way out. And that wasn't a crime that they were committing, but more of the release that they needed. And Mm -hmm. it shouldn't reflect on the family. And like we suffer out loud. Um, And I think in most suicide prevention organizations, you know, you have to understand that Losing somebody is not at the fault. Losing somebody to suicide is not at the fault of anybody. And we have to find every possible way to remind people that in language matters. Um, Suicide is 100% preventable, preventable, Mm -hmm. but with the support of your community. And that's hard to wrangle. It's really hard to get everybody on the same side and and within the same mission of saving a life because we all have our own lives Um, but it is preventable but it's it's something that still happens and is not something that you can place blame on any one person i think at least in my situation and the people that i've lost to suicide and the people that i know who have lost loved ones to suicide there's no one way to point like oh you did this wrong or you did that wrong there's no way Mm -hmm. um so we can't use the word commit because commit associates with a crime of an intentional act against so yeah i don't know i think i think that's important and i work really hard to maintain and you know muscle memory sometimes comes out but if we all work to know that language matters then we can continue fighting against these stigmas so that people can continue talking about it because if you continue saying commit blah 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 well then we can't talk about that fact that i thought about suicide or you thought about suicide because it sounds like a crime. So yeah. And there's also
0: like all this judgment and stigma against it. And, you know, people will carry that with them and point fingers and all the finger pointing and all the things that go along with it, Mm -hmm. which is just making the pain even worse. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's tough. And it's, it's, it's a really tough thing. Like when I do speaking events and I say, Hey, it's 100% preventable and then there's that one person in the audience who's like well i did lose my son to suicide it's like but not in that case like what do you say um it's not 100 percent preventable it could be but there it could be if we all talk about it
0: a hundred percent i mean we talk about it. it we have free i mean there's so many things that could be done differently you know, we need free men- mental health care in our country. Number one, if we just had that cool. alone, like, like, think about cool. But hello, Pollyanna is back. Um, <laughs> but you know what I'm saying? But it's like, like, if we just continue to talk about it, just talk about it, talk about it. Find somebody, help them do things like. If you're a listener of mine, it's, you know. It's sometimes I feel like people think, oh, they're not for real. They're not really like even if you were to hear your story or my story, there's just so much judgment. Like, well, why didn't you? Well, what is wrong with you? Because I didn't because I am still here and like all the things that go behind it. So you should never like ever, ever, ever. We're lucky if somebody doesn't take their life and they do all the things that we've talked about today. But part of the reason that Danny also came on is because this is my platform. I will do this podcast for however many more years that I do it, or however long I do it, knowing that I want to use this to help people with their mental health and help someone else and help prevent suicide because it's a, it's an epidemic. Like we said in the beginning, and Danny does too. And we're about to go into September. I'm recording this on uh, August 30th and September is suicide prevention month. And, um, so that's part of why I really wanted you to come on. Cause this will come out next Tuesday. So when, by the time my audience is listening to this, they can hear it. And, and if you, don't know what to do and say you have a teenager or you have a neighbor or you have somebody that s- says they're suicidal or struggling with it. Tell someone like there's people, there's resources. I talk a lot about, um, you know, mental health care is very expensive. And so a lot of times you can reach out to your local university because there's therapists in training that. You know they they will offer you free health care. So there's resources out there, but you have to kind of um, reach out and try and figure out ways to um, get those resources. You know, and and help people. Also, Do you have any thoughts say, on that?
1: Um, I know I I personally serve just Montanans, mm-hmm. um, but at the end of the day, your life is more important than our region. Um, If you're listening to this and you need somebody to help you, big part of my job is doing the legwork because I know when you are super depressed or you're in crisis, reaching out to therapists or finding the right fit, it's just, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. Um, I will do the research for you. I will call and make sure that they were, they are accepting patients. I will, I will listen to you and say, what demographic of therapists do you want to see? Do you want to see them in person? Do you want to see them virtually? Do you, uh, you know, what gender, sexuality, what religious affiliate, like whatever it is, I will do the research for you and I will make the phone calls and I will facilitate introductions. You can just call me. Yes, I prioritize Montanans because we are Montana funded, but your life is way more important than our our region, and you can reach out to me from New York to L.A., and I will help you with that as well. How do
0: people find you? Can you share that with the audience?
1: Um, go to www.sufferoutloud.org, or d-a-n-i at sufferoutloud.org is my email. Um, it's uh, recently the New York Times reached out for this morning. Actually, I did a weird interview with the New York Times, and um, they found us just by Googling suicide prevention or suicide statistics in Montana. And we, we popped up, I think third in the search. Um, so we're pretty accessible. You can follow us on, um, Instagram or Facebook or whatever platform you're on at suffer out loud. Um, yeah, my name's Danny Sather. You can find me personally and reach out, um, preferably through the business <laughs> platform. <laughs> But,
0: um, <laughs> do you have any like closing remarks? And I just said like again, I'm trying so hard, everyone. It's not working. Keep, like
1: saying like because like is really like like, to, like it's um, like say when it's because, gray, like, um, it's yeah, really like gray. Um, <laughs> closing remarks I would say, yeah, I talked about some dark shit today about my own life. Um, I don't want that to give you ideas, but if Mm -hmm. you are already thinking about it, give yourself that five minutes, um, because I know what it's like for somebody to be like, uh, like, 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 sorry to be like, Oh, just give yourself, (laughs) give yourself five minutes. And I'm like, um, okay, let me integrate that five minutes into my ritual before to, you know, it's it seems so condescending, because I know I can wait. Um, but if you force yourself to wait, it will change your life. And if you can't, 988-988-988-988-988. Call 988, please. Um, and if you want to talk to me, I will talk to you. I will literally talk to you. I am available. 10 to 5, Monday through Friday, <laughs> and then you can leave a message otherwise, and I will always call you back. But um, there's always somebody who whose life has been changed by you. Literally, you have yeah. changed somebody's life and you matter. You have changed the tra- trajectory of somebody's life and you don't even know it. Um, it's so, so true. That you're here. So.
0: I say that all the time. I say um, I had somebody on one time and he said, Your piece of the puzzle matters. And I always remember that when I'm kind of struggling. I, I go, Well, my piece of the puzzle matters. And I say, Keep going. Your story matters. You matter, Danny. I hope at the end of this episode, you don't think it's so gray
1: anymore. Okay. You are, always backwards, but
0: you are enough. You are enough. You really are. Everyone listening to this, thank you so much for listening. Thank you for always supporting me. I truly appreciate my listeners more than you'll ever know. I truly appreciate meeting Danny today. She's a wonderful, wonderful lady. Um, I feel lucky to know you, Danny. Um, Likewise.
1: Oh, side note. Can I just interject? Megan has the most incredible blue eyes and I have been distracted this entire time.
0: I paid you honest? to say that. You, thank you very much, Danny. The check is didn't. in the mail.
1: <laughs> also, second of all, if you do watch the video, check out my nose because it's my dad's.
0: You have your dad's nose. I have yeah. my dad's nose too, and my dad watches over me in heaven. Yeah. Both of our dads. <laughs> Both of our we have our dads' noses. Everyone, thank you so much. Like I say, every episode in closing, be happy by making other people happy. Thanks, Danny. Judging Megan with Megan Judge.